Good evening. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. As I said earlier, this mass terrorism is the new evil in our world. We therefore here in Britain stand shoulder to shoulder with our American friends in this hour of tragedy. And we, like them, will not rest until this evil is driven from our world. Many are now claiming we are moving into the new era of COVID-19. The previous era, one of 9-11, saw a multitude of laws passed resulting in human rights abuses across the world. The era became defined by its constant wars across borders, increased government controls, and lesser public freedoms. I ask, could we see a repeat of such abuses during the shift in governance aimed at tackling COVID-19? Our war on terror begins with Al-Qaeda, but it does not end there. That's President George W. Bush speaking in 2001 on the continuation of the war on terror. The war indeed, as he asserted, did not stop there. It goes on to this very day. The campaign has seen military activity in 80 countries around the world. 15 bombers, including B-2s, on a round trip from an airbase in Missouri, 25 strike aircraft, and Tomahawk cruise missiles launched from warships and submarines in the Arabian Sea. We are joined in this operation by our staunch friend, Great Britain. Other close friends, including Canada, Australia, Germany and France, have pledged forces as the operation unfolds. The war involved militaries of various countries, coming to be known collectively as the Coalition. Between the 2001 terror attacks and present day, those countries have passed laws that in many instances went on to curtail civil liberties through surveillance and detention laws, all in the name of combating terrorism. Laws such as the Patriot Act in the US, the Snoopers Charter in the UK, and the more blandly named Assistance and Access Bill in Australia, to name but a few. Australia alone has passed 82 anti-terror laws since 2001. This is a quick snippet of Professor George Williams of the University of New South Wales. One remarkable feature of our anti-terror laws is just how many were passed by our federal parliament. We didn't start with any laws on the national statute book, but quickly passed many laws in the wake of September 11. One new anti-terror law every 6.7 weeks. It was a remarkable bout of lawmaking that exceeds anything like it in other countries. In fact, one international scholar, Kent Roach, has said that Australia suffered from hyper-legislation. These laws went on to disproportionately affect the economically disadvantaged and ethnic minorities within those countries. In the UK in 2011, if you were South Asian, you were 42 times more likely to be stopped and questioned by the police under Schedule 7 of the Terrorism Act, a law that saw individuals lose rights such as the right to refuse to answer a question asked to you by a police officer, or even the right to legal representation in such instances. But in a Schedule 7, you have to answer every single question, and if you don't, that in itself is an offence. If you refuse to answer any questions, it is an offence under paragraph 18, subsection 1 of Schedule 7. Okay. An official review of Schedule 7 in 2012 even openly recognised the negative impact on the Muslim communities, as well as the fact individuals were unfairly targeted by Schedule 7 because of their ethnicity and faith. With coronavirus now taking a hold of countries for the second and third time this year, we've seen a year filled with questionable moves by governments to change laws. 
an EU country, where today the parliament passed a vote giving Prime Minister Viktor Orban the right to rule by decree for as long as he chooses. Control population movement. But Russia was slow to start testing. The city is quarantined from the rest of the country. And stifle press freedoms. Threatening uh, uh, journalists and, and diminishing the freedom of press, and that is unacceptable. All in aid to slow the rate of transmission of COVID-19. With this pivoting of governance now aimed squarely at coronavirus, experts are now suggesting COVID-19 is of sorts the new terrorism. For many, this is concerning, with the previous attempt to curtail terrorism famously becoming renowned around the world as divisive, discriminative and draconian. There really is a risk with this pandemic that authoritarian-leaning governments are using it as a pretext to grab more power. And we're seeing that all across the world. That's Elaine Pearson. She's the Australian director at Human Rights Watch. Elaine works to influence foreign and domestic policy and takes a moment to explain her concerns about the pivoting of governance in a time of pandemic. So I think there is actually quite a risk that, you know, the coronavirus pandemic could become, in a way, almost like the new terrorism, an excuse for governments to bring in very repressive laws that have lasting impacts on our civil liberties and also mass surveillance systems that, you know, if we're not careful, won't be time-bound and potentially could be very damaging for human rights. In Australia, while Elaine believes the Track and Trace app is an inherently good idea, she acknowledges that certain communities might not have thought the same way about it. Reporting around this is, you know, it's sort of blaming people for somehow betraying the country if they don't join up to this app. And frankly, I don't think that's on, you know, like it's a personal choice. And I think particularly people from ethnic minorities or people who've had experiences of surveillance or police raids, they might think very differently about whether they want to have an app like this on their phone. And recommends what should have been done to counteract these issues ensuring that those discussions are really happening with various civil society groups that are working on these issues, but also community groups that may be affected and may be alarmed by this kind of legislation. In countries like China, we saw extreme measures taken to hold off the transmission of COVID-19, but in return posing ethical and moral questions about the methods employed, such as track and trace apps bringing up concerns about data collection and surveillance. It can be used to track the movements of individuals. I mean, we see how it's used for very nefarious purposes in countries like China, for instance, where they have similar mobile tracking apps that are used to determine where people go, who they meet with, if they use the front door or the back door even of, of their home. All your travel information, uh, which train you took, potentially who you sat next to on the train, it will give you a rating of how likely you are to have caught the coronavirus. It is raising concerns in China about personal uh, data and also about privacy. And some critics say that the Chinese government is taking advantage of a time when there was a lot of fear and a lot of panic to infringe on uh, people's rights. And all of that information goes into a system to determine whether someone is, you know, a, a loyal subject to the Chinese Communist Party or potentially someone who's flagged um, as not loyal. And we know that on the basis of this information that is collected, um, these big data systems, people have ended up being sent to, um, uh, to, to re-education camps in Xinjiang. So there is certainly the potential for this information to be misused. 
Further afield to China, Elaine helps me understand how other countries in Asia are using the pandemic to solidify their war on government opposition and critics. Thailand, Cambodia, the Philippines are really using the virus um, as a pretext um, to go after and silence government critics. And so we've seen in recent years the proliferation of these fake news laws all across Asia. And those laws are really being used to target journalists, bloggers, opposition politicians, um, anyone who is critical of the government's response. Former regional opposition party leader Kiyotai was swept up in a recent COVID-19 related purge. His arrest captured by cameras he had installed on his house. And ultimately, if we want to have um, an effective public health response, uh, we need to be open to independent reporting and criticisms um, on how to improve the public health response. And I think by governments trying to stifle that, um, it's actually putting people in, in more danger and at more risk. Shoot them dead. That was President Duterte of the Philippines, whose war on drugs has seen the widening of scope to include political opposition. Um, so that's something that I think the international community also needs to come to grips with. And countries like Australia that have strong bilateral ties with a lot of these governments should absolutely be raising concerns with um, countries like Cambodia, where we've seen Prime Minister Hun Sen introduce you know, the most extraordinary decree, uh, which basically gives himself and his government unlimited powers um, and, you know, the power to really restrict communications and to restrict uh, the media. The English language Cambodian daily is another casualty of the media crackdown. So is the independent Phnom Penh Post, taken over by a company that had worked for the government. But Elaine Pearson isn't alone with her concerns. Many have begun appearing on national television and been vocal about their worries on government actions during the pandemic. Interestingly, there is going to be pressure from the Chinese government and from other governments. Thomas Felici Delunavilva, a geopolitics professor at the Rennes School of Business on News Channel France 24, expressing concerns about data collection and surveillance and its use. To collect medical data of citizens in order to control uh, and to, to be sure that the disease doesn't spread. And that's very interesting for insurance companies which in fact uh, use these data for their own purpose. Mei Fong, is, is, is that the dystopian view you take? While this does sound extreme, some industry experts have begun advocating that such data being stored could have helped to predict such a pandemic, now and in the future, and that private companies should have access to public health records, an issue that we'll get into with my next guest. Uh, so let me just start by saying that I became a lawyer at the American Civil Liberties Union about five weeks before the 9-11 attacks in 2001. And so really my entire career over the last two decades has been dealing with the legal, political, constitutional fallout from mainly the U.S. government's response to those attacks. You mentioned some of those. That's Ben Weisner, director of the ACLU Speech, Privacy and Technology Project. Ben's litigated cases involving surveillance practices for almost two decades. He also happens to be lawyer to NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden. Massive expansion of surveillance, including domestic surveillance, um, erecting prisons outside the law where uh, prisoners could be held without charge and interrogated without any kind of legal restraint, uh, terrorism watch lists, um, all kinds of powers that accrue to the government that were billed to us as a 
uh, emergency response to a situation, but as so often happens with these kinds of emergency responses, we're still living under the emergency laws that are put in place um, at those times. Ben emphasizes the controversial nature of these issues and reflects on the response some governments around the world have had to the pandemic. Uh, I think it's very, very contested right now, and you're seeing different responses already around the world. Uh, in very organized, authoritarian leading societies like Hungary, you've seen a very swift move um, by Orban to consolidate power and to further undermine democracy. Human rights watchdogs are expressing alarm over new legislation in Hungary that hands sweeping powers to the Prime Minister Viktor Orban. He says it's needed to mount an effective response to the coronavirus outbreak. But opposition figures say it's open to abuse. Uh, in more authoritarian societies in Russia, you know, they attempted to make everybody have an individual QR code on their phones in order to walk out in public. Apparently, so far, it's been a massive failure, but that was definitely an attempt on the part of the Russian government um, to use this moment to roll out another widespread population control device. And we'll see if that works or not. So, so you, you left the flat for one one minute and they they knew? Yeah, and they knew. Yeah, uh, on my question how, um, they say that uh, it was a face recognition system. But in light of all of this, Ben offers a glimmer of hope. Uh, Israel immediately uh, enlisted its Shin Bet, its domestic security apparatus to do location tracking of all Israeli citizens. Uh, but this morning we had news that the Israeli Supreme Court struck that down uh, on the grounds that the prime minister had not gone through the Israeli parliament and therefore this was extra legal. So we saw some uh, robust institutional response to that attempted power grab. But even with all the historical context before him, Ben still thinks it's a little too early to prophesy what the legal legacy of COVID-19 will be. Uh, in a place like the United States, where we have a leader with authoritarian tendencies, uh, but let's say poor organizational skills, um, uh, we have not seen the, the, the kind of immediate uh, action that we saw after 9-11, uh, where the government essentially already had a Patriot Act drafted and just used that moment to push it through. Again, I think it's too early to tell, but we can see what the contested terrain is going to be. While I have him, I put forward the concerns from the professor we heard earlier on French television a concern of data collection by large organizations during the pandemic? I guess it depends. Um, I, I would be uncomfortable with that data being in the hands of a company that is basically an advertising company. And remember, the biggest technology companies, the ones who are able to do AI at scale, at least in the United States, um, are advertising companies for the most part. Um, or or Amazon.com, a big monopoly. Uh, and so maybe they would give us a head start against a pandemic, but in the ordinary course of things, they'd be using that information in order to uh, manipulate our purchases and, um, you know, as we've seen, um, our voting choices. But with the ever-increasing accusations of government conspiracy theories mixed in there with the actual government steps to stifle dissent, how are we as viewers to wade through the noise? We're also seeing how this is a war of misinformation. And that's not just, you know, the Chinese government, the US government, you know, has also been playing a role in that. And I think that's why actually having some kind of independent international investigation could be helpful in getting to the bottom of that. Um, and while certainly the Chinese government made a lot of uh, mistakes in suppressing information, 
um, and censoring information, particularly in those early stages of the pandemic. I think the Chinese government has a lot to answer for. We're also seeing that other governments have also made uh, mistakes in how they've handled this crisis. Tanveer Qureshi is a barrister that works with CAGE, an organisation that pushes back against discriminatory state policies in the UK. During a recent online conference, he talked about the use of crises to further build upon already repressive policies. History has shown us, hasn't it, that every time there is a change in the law, every time there's a new legislative measure that's been ushered in, it has been prompted by some kind of emergency incident that has happened in the country. Either there's a terrorist attack that has caused shock and disturbance, rightly so, across society, and the government has decided, oh my goodness me, we need to do something. And the problem with that kind of, I'm going to call it headless chicken approach, is legislation is then passed without any real scrutiny, without any real thought process. And what should really be happening in these types of cases and what should really be happening with these types of laws uh, is due process needs to be followed in Parliament. Also, whistleblowers such as Edward Snowden have commented on the very issues facing the world under COVID-19. Everyone is fearful um, and hopeless and so worried about today um, that we have really stopped thinking about what tomorrow will look like as a result of the decisions that we take today. And representatives of the UK in forums such as the United Nations have called for caution during the pandemic. We need to be alive to the wider consequences of our actions and the need to minimise the long-term damage to our economies, our societies and our politics. We're already facing the prospect of the worst global recession of our lifetime. All whilst leaders the world over take on the pandemic, struggling with decisions, actions and accountability. The shots. This is when somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. Has any governor agreed that you have the authority to decide when their state is I haven't asked up? anybody because no you know why? Because I don't have to. Go ahead, please. But who told you the president has the total authority? Enough. But with the world seemingly upside down and the future holding mostly unknowns, what can we hope this turbulent time brings? My guests share their thoughts before we part ways. But I also think if we want to do, you know, a thorough independent investigation around the human rights uh, issues that are raised, I think, you know, we should open that really to to scrutinise all governments. And ultimately, I think that would be very beneficial to have a kind of report and to show governments that they're on notice um, for exploiting the pandemic in this way. I, I do want to say here that, that there is there is room for a conversation about optimism here. You know, this is possibly one of these inflection points where we realize as a society that the ways in which that we were organized left us uniquely unprepared for these moments. There is an opportunity here, not just for governments to exploit this moment, but for people to exploit this moment to say that the way things have gone over the last generation are just unacceptable.